working to keep up with the pace of change and recognizing that the change is going to be extraordinarily impactful. And by change, I mean technology. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Where Accountants Go podcast. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for this show. Well, hey, I am really excited to bring you this episode today. I reached out to Anthony Pugliese, the CEO for the California Society of CPAs. And honestly, I was just hoping he would say yes. I had seen some interesting posts from the society online, and I also noticed that Anthony himself started in in a traditional accounting role. So I knew he would have a great story for us if we could get him on the show. And the Cal CPA team got back to me almost immediately and were very open to doing the program. So here we are. You'll hear this for yourself in the interview, but one thing that really stuck out to me was just how natural and humble Anthony is. Joyful may not be the best word, but honestly, that's the word that sort of comes to mind when I think of how this interview went. Anthony shares a wealth of insight with us about the profession as well as about his own career, but I just couldn't get over how happy he sounds. You could tell he really enjoys what he does. I'm sure you're going to find a lot of value in this episode for yourself and in your own career. If you do find value in this episode for yourself and in your own career, please don't forget to leave us a rating in your podcast app. We appreciate and love each and every rating we get. It helps us to know if we're going in the right direction, and then also it helps other people to find the podcast and find some truth and value for their own careers as well, just like you have. Once again, please don't forget to leave us a rating. Well, with that, let's go ahead and get started with today's special guest. Here's Anthony Pugliese of Cal CPA. Well, welcome, Anthony. Thank you for making time for this. Hi, Mark. Good morning. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Wonderful. Well, for the audience, I really have a treat for you today. We have Anthony Pugliese on the show, and Anthony is currently the CEO for Cal CPA, or the California Society of CPAs, which is definitely one of the largest organizations for our profession. Plus, he also spent a lot of his career with AICPA as well. So we're going to have a lot to talk about in this episode. Frankly, probably more than we can fit into one show, I'm sure. Anthony, I do want to get into all that, but before we get into talking about Cal CPA and the profession, I need the audience to get an idea of, of how your own career has progressed. Because frankly, you know, going from starting as a staff auditor to leading an organization like Cal CPA doesn't happen overnight, I'm sure. And I know there's a story there. <laughs> how did you initially decide on accounting as a possible career in the first place? Oh, goodness. So, you know, I'll date myself a bit. I started school. I was born and raised in Florida, and I went to the University of North Florida in Jacksonville, Florida. I entered the profession, you know, after beginning the business school at the University of North Florida, and there was a professor, because Accounting 101 was a required class for all business majors, and I remember at the beginning of the class, he made a comment that stuck with me, which is that all roads in business will eventually lead to finance or accounting. And that stuck with me as interesting that if you reverse engineer that expression, then if you can learn accounting, you can probably find your path to understanding all the different elements of business. And that intrigued me. It seemed like the kind of penultimate way of achieving a degree in business that made sense. 
And of course, there's always that, wow, you know, this subject matter comes a little bit more naturally to me than others. And everyone that does well in Accounting 101 and then the dreaded intermediate, the next level of classes, you probably walk away thinking, oh, I've stumbled onto something I have a bit of a skill set in. So it, it evolved really out of a statement that was very profound to me. And I started to explore what the profession had to offer. And this is in the going toward the late 80s. And I graduated in 1989. So, you know, but by all means, by comparison today, it's exploded an opportunity, but I still found it intriguing and a path I wanted to go down. It was exciting. It was an exciting time in the profession with all the mergers that had just begun. Hmm. It's amazing how much one comment can shape someone's career. You know, that was and a great teacher. Line. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I have to ask because... The quote is, all roads lead to finance, and yet you went into accounting, and I know that people in college make that choice, <laughs> you know, back and forth. Is there any particular reason you picked accounting? Well, you know, I should clarify, in that example, he was referring to the synonymous use of finance and accounting or accounting and finance. The function probably more so at that period of time was somewhat synonymous, and a lot of teams even still use accounting and finance as the name of the team. We do a Cal CPA, our CFO of one of the teams that she leads, it's accounting and finance, because we also oversee our investment portfolio and 401ks and things like that. So that was the way he meant it then, and the way I still think of it now, that realizing that finance can be a different and distinct degree, but accounting crosses so much into that, and even in common vernacular. So that was the way he meant it, and I took it at the time. Okay. I just had to ask because honestly, yeah, good question. Maybe I, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I do occasionally try to get finance majors to switch to accounting. <laughs> so <laughs> just like any good CPA. So. I won't admit I, I do that as well. well I, I think I just did. <laughs> <laughs> so you started out at Deloitte, or it looks like it from what I saw online. Um, I did. How did you get that job? And take us through that experience because I'm sure it was very valuable and got you a good start on your career. Oh, it did. You know, and at the time, I don't think this has radically changed in the 30 years that have lapsed since then. But at the time, there were eight large accounting firms, you know, as we remember as the big eight. And, you know, the objective at that time was, well, you wanted to get a job and offer from as many of those as you could. And in the process of preparing for those interviews, you became very attuned to the other aspects that were evaluated, like business etiquette, your interpersonal skills, and what they were evaluating. And, you know, it started to add a dimension of what I experienced expected from my own career. So I thought at the time working for a big eight firm would be the best way to not just hone in on the experience I needed in accounting and to get my CPA license, but also in an attempt to refine my other interpersonal skills or my emotional intelligence at the time. That, that word was not commonly used or that expression at the time, but that's what we were doing. And I found that the training opportunities in those large firms at the time were tremendous, and I wanted to be a part of that. So at the time, I took an offer with Deloitte, Haskins, and Sells, and about two months later, it became Deloitte and Touche after a merger with Touche Ross. And we saw further consolidation that ended up with the big six, and that became big five, and then eventually the big four that we have now. I started in Jacksonville, Florida, and the practice office there, which was predominantly financial services. And I took an offer later in my career to work in San Francisco, where I spent two years in the city, also in financial services, and took the last few years of my career in the Deloitte National Office, focusing in on accounting, auditing, and peer review and quality control issues to assist the partners that were in charge of those areas of the profession for Deloitte. And ultimately, I landed in the New York City practice office because I fell in love with the city. That's where they were located. And that was my career. It was fantastic. I took advantage of 
the chances to see other parts of the country and to further my career by literally relocating where opportunity was. Those opportunities are best seized, I think, when you're a little bit younger in your career, and they provided that opportunity for me and many other people, literally from around the world. So it was taking advantage of opportunity that was presented to me and, and running with it. I really enjoyed the career. I have I look back literally with the fondest of memories, and a lot of my best friends are still the ones I met in those formative years of my career. Okay. Sounds like you were flexible as to where you would go, you know, with Deloitte. And very, and not even realize that I was displaying flexibility, but pursuing my own career goals. And they almost, if you looked, they provided those venues uh, quite often. Even back then, you know, it may have been a paper memo in my mailbox versus an email that I saw that attracted me, but I ran with the ones that seemed attractive to me and the ones I thought would best position me in my career and just in terms of just pure learning. Um, it's great to be young and full of ideas and wanting to understand how to hone in on skills. And I think I've kind of kept that, even as uh, I've progressed in my career, that curiosity. So yeah, Deloitte was fantastic and I was very flexible. Okay. It sounds like your last position with Deloitte was with the national office. Is that? It was actually the very last position, the last year before I left Deloitte. It was back in their New York City practice office, which was, oh. you know, enormous. I spent the last year doing financial services before I got an offer that was very attractive to me from AICPA. And in my role at Deloitte, I had actually worked with a partner that sat on the auditing standards board of the AICPA. And we were affectionately known as a, you know, their assistant or their bag person, the analogy being that we were supposed to carry their bags into the meeting. But our role really was to provide research to that partner that sat on the auditing standards board so they could be more informed about decisions and input that they gave. So the reason AICPA was attractive is it was a comfortable environment. And I was literally like in a volunteer capacity working for a partner at AICPA. So I became familiar with the staff, the functions, and the scope that they had. Um, so it's kind of an unusual way to become acquainted with AICPA when a job offer came, which also came out of my familiarity and friendships formed with staff at AICPA at the time, back in, that would have been 1997. Okay. And actually, that's exactly why I was asking. I was curious if it was, you know, just the geography involved or if it was through contacts? Yeah, you had... It certainly didn't help that when you're 26 years old, Manhattan is, you know, a glorious place to live. You either love it or hate it. And I certainly was in the former category and I wanted to stay and I wanted to not only work and have a career in New York, I wanted to, to live in New York. And so a little bit of that combined with AICPA being a great place to be at the time for my career, it was exactly what I wanted. And it wasn't by any stretch like slowing down from a pace I was at in public accounting. It probably accelerated, but it was just attractive because of the scope that AICPA had and has over the entirety of the profession. Every aspect of it was visible from that national perspective. And I, I enjoyed that. It was, you know, sometimes it was like the proverbial fire hose, you know, drinking from a fire hose. But at the same time, it was unbeatable experience. And I really wanted that. Okay. I'm glad you bring that up because I was curious what adjustment you may have had to make, you know, going from one to the national accounting firms to AICPA and maybe, you know, what you didn't know you didn't know and things like that. Yeah. You know, briefly answer that. It was probably you come from a large firm or any firm that you begin with in your career. And now it's also, it's not just firms, but it's organizations that operate in the, what we call the business and industry or management accounting arena. It wasn't a shocker so much as it was an eye-opening experience about the diversity of the profession in all aspects, like 
you know, how do other firms approach just the audit? How do other firms look at tax and consultative practices? And how does that all fit together by regions of the country? And there were emerging specializations uh, that I had not been exposed to at Deloitte, despite the fact that they were, I'm sure, there. But you get caught up in a bit of a culture that's very nurturing, but also a little bit very singularly focused on what you need to accomplish while you're there. And AICPA was eye-opening and fun. So I actually found it to be even more as far as like, wow, my workload just got heavier just because of the diversity of what I was exposed to. And at the same time, incredibly enjoyable. So that was probably the biggest eye-opener is that, wow, my view of the profession was very narrow and it became very wide as a result of that. And that's what kept me there 21 years is that never, as you know, the profession never has, certainly in the 30 years I've been in it, never stopped changing. There have been less than wonderful episodes in our history in the last 30 years, and there have been wonderful opportunities as we've seen firms grow and merge and new areas that were kind of boutique-ish at the time become mainstream, like financial planning or valuation or forensic services. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the 21 years because, yeah, that frankly just amazed me. I mean, that, that's a long <laughs> it's a time. a long time. <laughs> yeah. And half of that, or maybe over half of that, I guess, was as the COO. So over half, yeah, fifteen years. I was COO, and it was not to be, you know, make the maybe I'm using the wrong adjective. It was kind of a breathtaking, dramatic experience because I was given opportunity to do things that were stretching me far beyond, you know, just the technical half of my career. Where, you know, when I entered AICPA, it was in a very technical role. I was in peer review and ethics, and that was really honing in on my A&A skills and tax skills and looking at how things were done and understanding that there even was a function called peer review and that there was an ethics department that looked at the integrity of the profession, you know, the self-regulatory aspects of it. But when in the COO role, you became more responsible for things like membership, and that afforded me the opportunity to really understand the demographics of such a large membership base, as well as hone in on business skills that were really, really where I wanted to go at the time, such as revenue production, managing large teams, becoming a better speaker, a better leader. And it presented all those like year after year after year and projects like relocating the AICPA from the New York, New Jersey metro area to you know Durham, North Carolina. That was like, wow, how often in your career do you have a chance to relocate a large company? And at the time we called ourselves you know, the oldest startup in the country because we started over and rebuilding a team from the ground up of that size, hundreds of people, it was an honor. It was also stressful and daunting as it were, as it was far more overshadowed by the challenge and the humility of being in that role and being able to build a team and hone in on skills that I wanted to develop. Great experience and great opportunities that came my way, including at the end of my career there, watching a, you know, a merger occur as AICPA expanded its boundaries to global oversight and global operations. Okay. I was looking at that year. I was trying to remember exactly when AICPA started working with SEMA. And, you know, yeah, the, it began the in 2014-ish, okay. and it, the merger vote occurred in 2016, but the real execution began in my last year at AICPA, which was 2017, late 2016 and all through 17, and I'm sure still ongoing. If those are not projects that end with a finite date as culture and operations and objectives continue to refine and become more clear and succinct and all that. So it began in 16 with a vote as far as the officialness of it, but the actual uh, partnership began in 14 around that time. Okay. Okay. Well, I appreciate you going into that because I was going to say I was asking for the listeners, but honestly, I I was asking for myself too about how does the COO 
of AICPA spend their day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I also had the specialization areas. I'd have to always say, and this is where I formed some of the friendships that, you know, California is the largest state in the country. That's obvious. It's the fifth largest economy in the world by most definitions, if it were to stand alone. And CalCPA is the largest state society by almost double of our other peers across the country. So over my tenure there of working with members, predominantly they came out of California, which is where relationships, when I mentioned I made some of the best friends while I was at Deloitte, that also was certainly true of AICPA, but that also happened at the member level. You know, you meet someone that does financial planning or valuation or is a senior partner in the audit or tax function of a firm. And when they're sitting in California and you're coming out here a lot, you become aware of the diversity the state has and what CalCPA's mission here is really, in all respects, we operate very similarly to the AICPA. And, you know, when an opportunity came to be CEO of something as large as CalCPA, honored is an understatement. Excited would be an understatement of the feelings that I had at the time. And it was an opportunity that one of those opportunities in your life, you say, I, I'm not going to let that one go past me. So anyway, here we are. Okay. I was curious, yes, how a guy that's working in Manhattan ends up moving to California. There's not much further you could go and still, <laughs> still be. <laughs> it's True. Crazy. As far as geography, I've pretty much done the country now, I guess. It's, California is Aside from the how much I love my position and the ability to serve over 45,000 members, it's a beautiful place to live. I mean, I don't know if you've had the opportunity to travel here a lot, but California is a stunning state. Not many states where you can find snow, desert, beaches, and everything in between almost all year long. And, you know, I sound like I'm, I'm a, a salesman here for California's tourism industry, but I'm just someone that's been spitten by it since I lived here in the early 90s with Deloitte. And coming back here was always in the back of my mind, although at the time, I thought it would be a retirement decision. It's just an honor to be at CalCPA and be at the helm of an organization with such fantastic members and talent internally here to serve them. Um, and we've spent so much time developing a strategy in the last year since I've started and a strategic plan that's trying to keep up with the times. We're in the period of a, a significant transformation in the profession in California by virtue of its size, is going to experience that in the same way as an AICPA organization would. It's going to be coming on strong and fast, and we're going to see members experiencing a lot of the changes here, maybe even more rapidly than in other parts of the country. So anyway, California is a great place. It's a great place for career, and it's a great place to live. Just to give the audience an idea sort of of the, not really demographics, but pure numbers, how large a society is California from the membership standpoint? Sure. So, you know, 45,000 members represents all of our categories. We're on a growth trend to hit 50,000, which is phenomenal. There's over 110, almost 110,000 CPAs in the state. So, when you look at it, it's always hard to estimate how many CPAs are in the country because some have inactive licenses and they're still considered a part of the profession. So some estimates would put it at 700,000 nationally, maybe 600 to 700,000. And when you look at the facts and say, wow, 110,000 or one-sixth of that sits in one state, that was an impressive statistic to me. So when I say we're close to closing in on 50,000 as a goal, we still have a long way to go. That's just half. And I want the entire profession to be represented by CalCPA and to feel like this is their professional home. And, you know, you say those things and they may sound somewhat easy to come out of your mouth. That's not always easy to do. The larger your demographic, the more people you need to be conscious of serving. And we don't want to be a one-size-fits-all organization. We have a lot of members that do different things. And it's trying to prioritize those things and represent them as the best way we can 
both professionally and in Sacramento when we do advocacy efforts on behalf of the profession. This state has quite a share of legislative things that come up. And I wouldn't say from time to time, I would say all the time. By virtue of its size and diversity and all the different things it's reacting to, sometimes first because of its size, like privacy or other issues that California is looking at. So that's sort of the demographic of the profession. And within that 50,000 and that 110,000, it's literally, if you can think of an area of the profession, I could probably safely bet a large sum of money it's, it's adequately represented here in this state, whether it's forensic accounting, valuation. I mentioned personal financial planning, which is something I love on a personal level tax specialization across almost every spectrum and gamut that you can imagine, audits of industries that are absolutely unique and you know are very attractive to members, such as the entertainment industry, the Silicon Valley, wine industry, now an emerging, huge, largest in the world, cannabis industry. It just seems that you know our job will you know, in some ways never be done because we're constantly going to be morphing to match those industries and the members that serve those industries, both in public accounting and in business and industry. They're sitting as a CFO or a CEO. So we're continuing to strive to make that representation more complete. From the standpoint of the society itself, I guess, what are some of the more exciting initiatives there in your strategic plan? What are you guys going to be working on? Yeah, I mean, you know, our strategic plan, I'll try to temper my enthusiasm. I'll take another <laughs> three hours of your, your time. It's, we basically look at it in six large pillars. And just quickly, one of them is the most germane, is reimagining and transforming our organization. And sometimes people ask me, well, when is that going to be done? And I'm like, you know, that's never going to be done by virtue of technology. Reimagining is a process I hope all companies do all the time because to stay at least at pace, much less ahead of how things change so quickly, reimagining and making sure we're put together organizationally in the right way to best serve our members, the kind of technology we use, that constant concern most companies and certainly associations have about making sure millennials and future generations of members are going to find us attractive and that we don't look like your, what's that old expression? It's not your dad's Oldsmobile, your father's Oldsmobile, but really an organization that is keeping up with the time. So that is one strong pillar. Another one I really really, really have a passion on is I call it promote competency and learning and trying to steer away from the old use of that term would be CPE or continuing professional education. And yes, competency and learning can be that, but it's really prioritizing that obtaining new skills is what competency is all about. It's becoming competent and learning versus CPE, which tends to have a connotation of compliance. And it's incredibly important to the profession that we have CPE, but I'd like it to become more oriented toward upskilling and enhancing skills of CPAs and not just always updates. And that might include, for example, what is the impact of artificial intelligence on our profession? And what is the impact of blockchain to become more specific about a technology? And how does that affect the audit? It clearly does. And then when you put the two together is how does one learn about blockchain in an audit environment that works? You can learn about blockchain and you can understand audit, but when you put the two together, you have another unique challenge of teaching the profession those skills as one example of many. So competency and learning is a very important thing. And I think that's also a way that you keep millennials engaged is because that's the kind of learning that they want. And forget, I'm an Xer, I'm an early Gen Xer, and that's important to me as well. I've mentioned this curiosity that's been a part of my professional journey, and that often equates to learning. And learning has to be fun. Sometimes we don't like to admit that, but we learn the best when we're having fun, and we learn the best when we're in environments that are conducive to learning. 
So we are trying to, and we are transforming our learning business to be those kinds of things while still offering the updates that are critical. I mean, just think of the tax laws that have changed in the last two years. And those are generally, those are big updates. They're large um, consumption of time and we know our members want that. So it's balancing and growing and transforming that business as we look to the future. We look at membership. We look at the models of membership. Sometimes a membership of just individuals, which is critical, is not the only model. You know, we should look at firm-based memberships and maybe employers that have large numbers of CPAs. I can almost literally look out my window and say, there's Oracle and Google right down the street. We know that they employ hundreds of CPAs right here within 10 miles of where Cal CPA sits. Now, how do we get them all to join in a way that's organizationally effective for them as companies? So we look at that. Advocacy or our work in Sacramento represents another pillar that we never are going to be done with. I chuckle because it is a very fast pace that California and our legislation and legislative process matches the size of the state. At times, it feels almost like we're still, you know, we're in Washington. It's such a a sizable process in such a large state, both geographically and the number of people. And, you know, lastly, we look at our image, our brand, and we also look at are we doing what we need to be doing now? to enable the profession to be successful in the future. For example, the CPA exam is under a dramatic rethinking process, and we want California to be at the table for that. So all those things, I think you asked me what to call out some. I might have called out a lot more than you meant, but those six things broadly are where our focus is squarely focused on now, where our priorities lie. And for each one of those, we have strategic plans under them and performance indicators to help us know we're on track. And when we're not, I really there's a lot of value in there. It's something that's going to stick with me for a long time, though. Is you know, CE should not just be compliance. As soon as you said that, I can very much relate. My birthday is in a couple months, and I was just adding up the hours I have, figuring what I, I still know. need. And you're right. There's something that just feels like checking the box or compliance sometimes. and um, We're all guilty of it. It's how we were kind of brought up in the profession. And if you really think about it, it's so much more rewarding when you walk out and say, wow, I didn't know that. Now I do. Um, And it's something brand new, something that you wouldn't have known before. And the class is enjoyable enough. And that could be as simple as what's a great instructor look like? You know, who's that person that truly engages a class and makes it fun? Or it could go down to things like, what if we were to offer CPE in a a gaming environment. A lot of firms do that. When you put two people together and you say, okay, we're going to put this in a learning environment and you're going to compete in a fun way, like, you know, a video game, what does that do? The answer is that almost nine times out of 10 is it increases your retention and it makes your memory of the experience good and it makes you go back for more. So all those things are kind of embedded in the future of learning. I wouldn't say it's the future of learning. It is the way learning is being done now at colleges and in in other company or corporate cultures. So we want to be that organization and I want to personally participate in learning that has those kind of features to it. I want to be with that speaker or instructor that captivates me and I want to be able to do something that makes me not want to pick up my iPhone or send an email or tune out because someone texted me something that's irrelevant to what I'm learning. So anyway, I'm glad that that appealed to you as well. It's it's a, something that we're passionate about. Certainly I am, but the organization has a cultural passion about it that we've begun to instill. I don't know if this directly ties or is just on the same subject matter, but 
California has an education platform, right, that you guys collaborate with other states somehow? We do. We do work with other states, and, you know, we certainly have our own very large market here, but we like to work with other states, both in terms of sharing our content for them to use for their members, as well as taking their content and using it for our members. And I see that as a tremendous opportunity to continue and to grow and to learn from one another. You know, the second largest society in the country is, you know, Texas. And you may think, well, what's California and Texas got in common? Well, we do. We have a lot of issues in common. We have a lot of issues because of the size. It tends to bring out the fact that they are also heavily represented by very different parts of the profession. And by pooling our resources, we can just do so much more. And they also have unique tax issues that are common in California. When you have a lot of populations immigrating into the U.S., those are unique. Those are tax issues. And and I'm not talking just from south of us. I'm talking from around the world. California has so many people coming in for Silicon Valley. Texas has a great reputation as well. And there's tons of people moving into places like Austin, Dallas, Houston. So we work together, and that's one example. We work with 40 states actively on our CPE, dare I say that word, our competency in learning, and making sure that we're trying to maximize. Cannabis would be a great example of something that we are now, by virtue of its size in California, that we like to say to other states, would you like to have our cannabis training? Although the issues are unique in California, the the issue will become more and more common to other states. So maybe get ahead of the curve and learn about these things because eventually I think cannabis will become a nationally regulated item versus state by state by state. When those patchworks start to come into existence, you can sometimes predict that that's going to become a national law. So we're able to think ahead on things like that and share learning now so that our members are not just learning about it the moment they need it, but before they even need to know it. And that's been valuable. People want to know, even if you don't have all the facts, I've learned that members just want to know as much as you do have. It doesn't always have to be this flawless, tied with a bow kind of learning. Learning is sometimes being aware of what you don't know. So even with that, we've been successful and we collaborate actively. Okay. Okay. Is this an online platform that you share with other states? Is that Yeah, it, it's both. About? Yeah, we provide them files that they can use perhaps in their own learning management system, and then they can simply link right directly into ours and use it that way. You know, we switch out maybe a logo so that their members can recognize who they're dealing with, and we co-brand. It's typically the case because eventually you're going to see somebody saying, hey, welcome to this Cal CPA learning event if it's been recorded live. And that's okay. It shows that we're actually collaborating. And I think what's the difference really between a CPA here and a CPA anywhere else in the country? Maybe some state nuances that are unique and tax laws that are unique. But sometimes a lot of our members or state societies come to us because California is a common place for people all over the country to have some kind of business in. And California now has new privacy laws. It's cannabis laws, it's unique tax laws that have been not quite catching up with um, the pace of change occurring at the federal level. So all that presents opportunity. It presents challenges to the profession in and outside of California, et cetera. Okay. Okay. Well, I want to make sure we leave time for the final three questions that I end every podcast with. This is going to get into another subject, or I guess I'm, I'm okay. changing the subject a little bit, but there's one thing I wanted to make sure I ask you, because you're in a unique position to have insights on the profession. I mean, so much time with AICPA at those levels, and then now leading, you know, like you said, the largest state society for CPAs. Take this in whatever order you want, but what do you feel we're doing well as a profession? And frankly, where do you feel like we need to continue to improve or maybe dramatically improve? Wow. In some ways, that can actually be the same answer. 
And I'll start with that one, and I can perhaps provide some differences on each one of them or some uniqueness on each one. I think in some ways what we're doing well is working to keep up with the pace of change and recognizing that the change is going to be extraordinarily impactful. And by change, I mean technology. The very DNA of the profession is changing with technology. I love to use an example, and I know this isn't a, a live example as it has happened yet, but sometimes people say, well, gosh, artificial intelligence. Now, is that going to put people out of business? And I say, well, let's think about that. The most advanced form of AI, and if I were to turn to the proverbial Alexa or Siri and said, hey, Alexa, do my taxes. And in five years, if that was a possibility because you know it taps into your bank accounts and your maybe your software you use at home for your expenses, and it spits out a number and it says, well, Anthony, you owe 100 thousand dollars. Well, I'm probably going to say, wait a minute, I need to talk to my CPA. And that really fundamentally upsells the skill a CPA provides. If they're not already doing the taxes and this person is using Alexa, in my example, the CPA is still not only valuable, but invaluable. Can you imagine that look on, well, I can imagine the look on my face if that was the answer I got. And I most certainly would call a knowledgeable tax expert. So if that CPA has kept up with AI and what it's done to the tax preparation business, then they are automatically in a unique position to provide advice that's very different than in the past. So we're keeping up with that kind of change. We're working and acknowledging that that change is there versus, you know, burying our heads in the sand as a profession. And then I would also say we need to do better at that very same thing. We need to move faster because we're not even remotely keeping up with the advances in technology and not many industries are. We're not alone. I don't think the legal, engineering, medical, dental, you name the profession, technology is outpacing the ability of those professionals and certainly their professional associations to keep up with it. So that's an example of one thing I think we have to keep our eye on. And if we think we've finished, then we've made an error. We're acknowledging it and we're moving on it. CPA exam is another great example of Technology has to become a core skill set. I don't mean in and of itself, but when you learn how to do an audit, you have to learn how to do an audit with technology. And if you can learn that at a baseline level in college, it's like learning, counting, and auditing. We may not have all the standards when we graduate from college and take the exam because more will come, but we at least have the ability to understand how to look at the standard, read it, and know how its application might or would work. And I want technology to be that same sort of core skill set that, okay, here's a new technology. I know how it worked before. Let me see how this works. It's that propensity to look at technology as a tool and see how much it evolves the profession in a positive way. So all that, we're keeping an eye on it. We need to always do better. It'll never stop. I mean, I'd love to hear an argument that technology is going to slow down. That would make me feel a little bit a sigh of relief, but I don't think there is one. So I also think we do a good job as a profession keeping ourselves connected, both through the AICPA, but also through the networking of the state societies. It's a very active process that's been refined over, I mean, we've been in existence well over a century, about 110 years. AICPA is approaching 135. Our relationships with our boards of accountancy and our state legislative processes, I think all the states do that well. And I think the AICPA does it well. And staying on top of issues, and it's not a matter of like, we want to change policy because we want CPAs to make money. It's about nine times out of 10 saying, wait a minute, legislator, wherever you are, are you aware that that has this consequence way over here in the CPA profession and you're going to actually hurt not just a profession, but all the people that rely on it? I think we do that well. We could always do better, but I think as a profession, we're at least doing that well now. And other areas continue to improve is to 
you know, to make sure that as we look at ourselves and the way we compete, that we learn to be more cooperative and that CPA firms learn to also leverage the skills of each other despite being competitors with themselves. And that active learning process is meant to be, let's keep the profession alive first and then let's worry about how we're going to keep our companies alive and thriving. I think we could improve on that second example is how did the smaller firms learn from the bigger and how did the bigger learn from the smaller and how does that trading of information of practices, how does that occur in a way that's a little bit better than it's done now? We tend to isolate it. These are the big firms and these are the medium firms and these are the small firms and we serve them, but sometimes connecting them and leveraging the uniqueness of each to the advantage of all is something I think we need to improve. So I think that's a role of Cal CPA or any state society or the AICPA and we try to do that. I think we can improve. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you. Yes. I was glad to hear you say advocacy because I at least in Texas, from what I see, there's a lot of wonderful volunteer, frankly, effort that goes into that. And I do think that we do it well. And yes, good to hear that. Well, I do end every podcast with the same three questions. So I want to be respectful of your time. We'd probably better get to those. From a career perspective, what's been your proudest moment? Oh, goodness. Well, I'm going to have to say moving into the role of a CEO and being entrusted to the (laughs) stewardship of such a large organization. It may have been recent, but I'm extraordinarily proud to be here. Friends of mine could probably attest I bounce into the office probably every day. I have been visiting every chapter. It's one of the most enthusiastic phases of my career, and I just can't seem to get enough of it. And I it's wonderful to be in a job you love, certainly. I hope that I wish that for everybody in a good way. But this has been a pinnacle. Things I did at the AICPA, I was very proud of the relocation process and the opportunity to rebuild an organization as old and, you know, as proud as the AICPA. It's gone through a lot in its history. So those are probably two things I'd hold out as things I'm very proud of. And the fact that they came to my mind first is very natural. So I've been asked that in a while. So those two would stand out as things in my career I'm quite proud of that I give them the opportunity, A, and then B, doing it. Usually the answer that comes naturally is best. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm proud of my family. I'm proud of, you know, a lot of things in my life. But from a professional perspective, those top the list. Perfect. Well, second question, tell us about a lesson that you learned the hard way. And frankly, the more detail you can give us about the situation, the better, because that's really how we learn from these. Yeah, yeah. You know, if I have time, I'll give you two. I'll start with the most significant one, and then I'll, one I always tell young people now that I think is critical. The first example, I think, is something I learned the hard way, meaning I went through anguish before it dawned on me, like sort of that aha moment, like, huh, that seems pretty obvious, yet it didn't stumble on me. And that is realizing that when you surround yourself with people that know more than you do, it's always a win always a win in my experience. And when you're younger in your career and you start off in a leadership track, you have this innate feeling that you should be able to know more so that you can more effectively lead and provide guidance. And that isn't what leadership is all about. And it leads to just extraordinary exhaustion and trying to keep up with things that you really have no hope of keeping up with. A great example would be, although I have managed IT for 25 years of my career, I've never come in and said, let me tell you how that should be done. Although I bet there was a couple years at the beginning where I really wanted to be that person. And that was sort of an exercise in futility. My skill set is I am a CPA. I like like to think of myself as a leader. And as a leader, I need to understand that people need to be smarter around me. And that comes with a little bit of self-confidence, I think. And 
it, it isn't easy as it, it's not as easy as it sounds to do. I don't know if you've run across that mark in your career, but that was something I learned. And, you know, a mentor of mine many years ago actually just said those words to me. The secret is surrounding yourself with people that know more than you do and taking pride in that, that you're able to find them, attract them to work for you and have them as a part of your organization. You know, and quickly, the second one is I always remind young people is please take care of yourself in busy season. This is a profession that's highly stressed, as many are, and taking that time out to recharge and take care of yourself, whether that means exercise, time with your family, eating right, you know, all those kinds of things. They may sound trite, but hugely, hugely important to health, well-being, and actually just being successful in your career. Sure. And that's something most of us usually learn the hard way. <laughs> exactly. And some, you know, learn by actually seeing their health suffer, which is unfortunate. Yes. Or the compromise of, you know, family or something else that's actually more important, but you become laser focused on being successful and you sacrifice more than you intended. So I always tell people, pause, take that weekend to yourself, recharge. You'll come out better on the other side. Even the next morning, you'll come out better, much less over the course of an entire career. Well, last question, and then we'll go ahead and say goodbye. And you already hinted at this, so I, okay. I'm going to ask anyway, though, just in case there's something else there. What is the best piece of advice? that you have ever received? Honestly, that best piece of advice I've ever received, well, there's two. Don't expect everyone to perform at the same level you hold yourself to. And that becomes like, that is my personal decision if I want to perform at a certain level. But don't expect or judge people by how they may act, but how they deliver. And somebody once told me that, you know, you're actually, look, this was at Deloitte. You're looking at people and saying to yourself, an unconscious sort of process, I'm working harder than they are. They need to work harder. And when you've told people to that standard versus simply saying, hmm, that person is getting stuff done and they're not working as hard as me, that's the lesson to be learned is what are they doing right, not what are they doing wrong. And that's sort of an abstract thought. But when that kind of sort of epiphany, it helped me be a better leader because I started to think, hmm, that person just needs to be more efficient. And if they can't be, then I need to step in and help understand why it is they have to work these kind of hours and be under such undue stress. And in public accounting, to have somebody tell you that, that's quite a valuable bit of advice. So that comes to mind as well as the whole thing about surrounding yourself with people that know more than you. Those two bits of advice were literally things someone said to me once in a performance review at Deloitte and the other just a friend that mentioned it to me as a, a leadership thing to consider. Beautiful. Self-awareness is key. <laughs> yes, it is. Well, thank you so much for making time for this. When I reached out to you, I had no idea if this was something that you'd be willing to take the time to do. And I think it was very generous for you to do this for our listeners. Oh, it, it is my pleasure. And thank you for offering. And I've enjoyed myself thoroughly. And it's great to be a part of the process you have here and to be on your show. Thank you. Well, that was our interview with Anthony Pugliese. And I don't know about you, but I was just really impressed with how humble Anthony is. I mean, he leads the largest CPA organization, at least among the states in the U.S. And he was also the COO of AICPA. And yet he made time to do this recording. I very much appreciated it. And then I think secondly, and I know I said this in the intro, but I couldn't get over just how happy he sounds. 
about you know what he's doing for a living. He sounds like he thoroughly enjoys going to work every day, and that's a wonderful thing to hear. You, you can tell he finds a lot of joy in what he does. Well, thank you again to everyone for joining us. If you haven't yet rated us in your podcast app, please do so. Swipe left, swipe right, whatever it takes, but we love to see those ratings. I'm Mark Goldman, your host for the Where Accountants Go podcast, and we will see you all next week. There's more to come.